Welcome to the Success School Podcast. You're here with Tim and Steph. Welcome, Steph, for your second episode on this amazing podcast. Thank you for having me. We were just riffing uh, earlier and saying just how much better it is to be doing podcasts together and how much more fun it is to not only plan them, but just actually recall them together. It just makes it so easeful and fun. Yeah, it is much funner and easier to come up with content as well. If you guys are not podcasting, which not many people are, it is uh, quite the undertaking to come up with episodes, content, quality content of that, and make it engaging for you. Much easier with the, with the second person. Yeah, it's been fun. We actually planned this entire episode in the car this morning on the way to breakfast. So we'll see how this rolls out. <laughs> yeah, we're, ringing, we're winging it. So we like to start off with a lesson of the week. So Steph, what is your lesson of the week this week? It's interesting how th- like themes come up in your business and in your life on repeat. And I've been asked this twice this week by two very influential women who have really big audiences. And we kind of were breaking down what the difference is between a personal brand and kind of a business brand. And it's not something that I've really discussed or, or even really given much time or thought to, because I would have probably told you that I'm a personal brand. But really, I actually don't share that much of my personal life on my social media. I don't really share too much about the day-to-days of our day or what's going on for me or what's been good, bad, hard, easy. I don't really share what we cook for dinner or you know how we spend our time. I mostly only share kind of content that is topical and interesting for my audience around the thing they follow me for, which is business. And we were kind of talking about how, you know, from a personal brand perspective, I guess the main difference is that a personal brand is going to share everything in their life. And this is the lesson that I realized this week. It's like a personal brand is someone who really is the personal point of difference. So they're sharing everything about their lives, you know, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, the hardships, the realness, when shit doesn't go to plan, all of that sort of stuff. Whereas a business brand, you know, my if you look at my bio on social media, the only reason you would follow me is if you wanted to get business advice. And that's like, it just makes perfect sense. And so if I'm just posting about, you know, our dogs or and we have children, our children all the time, like it's not going to be relevant to the people who follow me for the reason that they follow me. And so personal brands might get a lot of reach. They might get a lot of interest, but they might not sell as much be- unless it's relevant to the audience. So, you know, if they're selling, if they're, if they're a motherhood influencer of some sort or, or personal brand and they sell something that's helping mothers to, you know, navigate their time or or take control, then that, that will make sense, obviously, right? But if that person starts trying to sell business courses, it's probably not going to go so well because their audience is, is following them for them and their personal brand and their personal life. And so I kind of really this week that there is a difference between personal brands and I guess like business brands or probably I would call them expert brands because, you know, they're, they're really not the same thing. Steph, can you talk to followers don't equal dollars? I think that's a really cool point just to touch on here. Yeah, for sure. And and yeah, uh, the reason this came up was one of my clients was kind of saying, hey, like, I'd love to get more story views, you know, this person. And she, she kind of gets some examples of a couple of different people who get like 47,000 views on their stories, which is wild guys, by the way. And I was like, yeah, it was really interesting because they also, even though they might get 47,000 views in their story, they don't have multi-million dollar businesses. And I have 20,000 people in my audience. I get, you know, 2,000 views on my stories and we're getting, we, we're going to turn over two mil. So it's it's a wild thing. Like I think that a lot of the time we think we need more followers. And we have clients who are earning 40, 50, $60,000 a month with, with 1,100 followers. Like this, the following doesn't actually matter like crazy, but the people in your audience matter. And and so, yeah, people might have hundreds of thousands of followers, but and we've met these people. They struggle to make any money from having those hundreds of thousands of followers. And so, just because you have the like a bigger audience doesn't mean it's going to convert to dollars. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I know some people with you know half a million followers on various social media platforms that drive a uh, Ford Focus, not because they want to, because that's what their business is producing. So, Nothing wrong with a Ford Focus. Yeah, we. I mean, we. You know, we all had Ford Focuses. We all started, but there. but it's like that's not the car they dream of. It's not the car they want, and just because it's like their business just hasn't got to the point, even though they have all the audience, they actually can't find a thing to sell, which mm. is crazy. So focus on quality followers, I think is the main thing here. Quality followers and uh, kind of decide if you want to have a business or personal brand. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Tim, what was your lesson of the week? So my lesson or learning for the week, this is around instant gratification. I think we live in a time where we're talking about social media here, but you know, people put up a post and they expect instant likes and, and you know, within 24 hours, they've got hundred likes, they've got 50 likes, they've got 200 likes, they've got 500 likes and people expect that to happen in business, which is not the way business works. Business is a game that builds momentum over time. And you really need to understand that because people, sometimes their own consciousness or their understanding is they expect their business, they expect to do a post and get results. They expect to do multiple posts and get results. That's just not how it happens in business. And the point or the, the learning for the week is the longer the runway, the bigger the plane can land. So the longer you build your runway and you don't ask for an ask, so you don't take from your audience or you don't make offers or you just provide value, the more you're going to win in the long term. I also like to think about this as like a, a piggy bank. So you're topping up your piggy bank with value and then eventually you take the value away from the piggy bank when you go for an ask, okay? This is where it goes wrong with a lot of business owners as well is they do a lot of taking and they do, don't do a lot of giving. When you do a lot of taking and not a lot of giving, you burn out your audience really quickly. So you want to delay the gratification. You want to delay the ask. You want to build a lot of value. You want to build a lot of loyalty. You want to build a lot of trust. And you want to do this for many years, over and over and over and over again until you think it's done to death. And then you keep you need to keep going over and over and over. And that's where you're going to win at business. And I think the longer the runway, the bigger the plane thing also lands for. If you do launches, it's like, you know, you have an idea, you have an offer, you have an like you want to bring it to life. It's like, oh, often we just rush to that point and we don't give it the care and consideration that we might want to. Like, how ready is my audience to buy this? How problem aware are they? Are they solution aware? Are they aware that there's, there's things out there that can solve this problem for them? Do I have those people in my audience? Is the offer good enough? Have I got a long enough runway to market it? Like, if you look at the Tony Robbins in-person events, they advertise literally with Facebook ads and so many other things are almost up to 12 months before they have the event. That's the reason they're able to get 8,000 people in the room is because they advertise for 12 months. So if you want 8,000 people, if you want a thousand people, you've got to think about the size of the runway that you're building. You know, too often we see business owners like, oh, I have an idea. And then they just throw it out there. And it's kind of like, it's, is that your best effort? Is that, mm. and we're not saying like, here's what we're not saying. We're also not saying don't put anything out there for years until you think it's perfect. That's also not what we're saying. Mm. It lives then it lives somewhere in the nuance a bit of the in-between, but it's like, you know, if you, if you create an idea, flesh it out, really make sure your audience is ready, really do the, take the time to build this thing instead of being so quick to be like, I need to get sales. I need to get runs on the board so that I can feel validated that this is good. It's like, well, how about just knowing that it's good and then taking the time to really build that out and really building that belief system in the offer as well. Yeah. I think we see this as a huge expectation when people launch things, they just expect it to work straight away without actually doing the reps that it takes for it to work. When things work or a launch really works for someone, they've put in the work, mm. okay? They've done the reps, they've done the work, they've had the experience, they've built the relationships, they've built the clients. That's when things really work. And when they don't is when that's not done. So let's get into the topic for today. Steph, what are we talking about? 
Today we're talking about what happens when you kind of do some marketing and it accidentally blows up or, or probably not accidentally because you're doing marketing for the intention of it to blow up. But the question that we get is kind of, and we get this a lot in Success School and, and we hear people talk about it all the time, even in Facebook groups that we're part of, is like, I've got these leads, now what? Now what happens? Now I've got these leads. And the problem that we see is that a lot of startups don't think that they're actually going to get leads or, and I call this like accidental marketing. So they're doing the things they know they need to do because they know they need to try and get some people in the door for their program or their offer. So they slap a few things around and then all of a sudden one of those things will hit and one of those things will land and they'll get a flood of inquiries overnight. But what happens is that if that's what you're doing, more often than not, the question that we get is, oh my God, Steph, I've got a hundred leads. Now what do I do? Oh my God, Steph, like, this is the stuff we teach at Success School, right? Because we teach you how to get the leads. But if you aren't ready for the leads, it means you're going to burn all of them. So you need to be prepared to actually get the leads. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about how to set yourself up to, because marketing is just a tap. It's something that we can turn on and off. So how to set yourself up so that when we turn that marketing tap on, you're ready to, you know, funnel all of those beautiful leads through a beautiful pipeline into cash money, into your programs, into the impact that you want to have. So Tim, this probably leads us into like, why do we teach in Success School sales before marketing? I think the main reason we teach sales before marketing is just to prepare you for that. Once your message is good, once you know what you want to convey to your audience, you're going to find it quite easy to get leads. People will naturally be interested in what you do if you have a great product. So we just want to maximize the conversion of that because audiences, especially if they're super niche, can be quite finite. So they just there's just not unlimited people that potentially want to buy your thing, depending on how niche it is. So you don't want to be burning leads. So before you go to market with anything, you want to make sure you have a really good sales mechanism or a really good sales process or a really good lead nurture process to get them to become a client. So you're just not wasting leads. Yeah. So a lot of people like putting stuff out on social media and then getting all these leads and they're being like, holy shit. And then like individually emailing every single person or individually private messaging every single person. And it doesn't, it, if you don't have a sales process where you're like, cool, once a lead inquires, then this happens. Then we do this. Then this is our process. Then this is what we do. Then we jump on a sales call or then we send them to this landing page and then we make the sale. And then once they make the sale, then what happens? How do you onboard them? How do you make sure they feel supported in your program? Like there's so many steps that everyone's missing. They create the offer, then they go to market and then they get overwhelmed in the actual marketing of the product because they're getting drowned in leads and admin and in like in systems that just don't support them. So what should someone do if they're listening before actually trying to go to market and get leads? Yeah. And this is why we teach sales before marketing in our program. So, you know, when we were building out Success School, we were like, what are we going to teach our audience? We, we do something based on what we call a genius model, which was developed by a guy here in Perth actually called Simon Bowen. And it's really about understanding that, you know, we have three main mechanisms for helping our clients get to a seven-figure business. And, and the first one is sales. And the reason it's sales is because if you don't have a sales process and a sales funnel and you don't know how to convert those people, there's no point turning that marketing tap on, right? And so before trying to get leads, the things you have to build out is the very least, your onboarding system. So once they say yes, let's say you reach out and you go to market, people just immediately want to opt into your offer. What's your onboarding process? How do you get them to pay? Do you have a landing page? Do you have an email sequence that goes out as soon as they sign up? Like, what does that process look like? The second process that you need to get into place is, okay, if a lead's interested and if someone puts their hand up, we call it hand raising, someone puts their hand up and says, hey, I'm kind of interested in this. 
what's then your process? So, you know, are you going to message them? Are you going to DM them? Are you going to get them on a phone call? What what are those messages going to look like? What's that process from that point? So really understanding before you actually try and go out and get those leads, what will happen when you get them? And the interesting thing here is that, like I said at the very beginning of the podcast, most people just don't think it's going to happen. Like Most people just mm-hmm. think that, you know, no one's actually going to buy their stuff. And, and so they're always shocked when this happens. So, Tim, let's dive in and go into what to do once people start inquiring. So if people start putting their hands up and start inquiring, like what's kind of the the thing that you would do or recommend? So there's many ways you can do this. It's not a black and white answer, but I kind of think about this as if someone is inquiring with you, they're strongly interested and they would be categorized as a warm or a hot lead. So you want to send them something back immediately. Luckily for us, technology has come a long way where you can automate a lot of this. So the number one recommendation I have for most people is an automated email sequence. Just you could call it a hello sequence. It could be one day, it could be three, it could be five, it could be 10 days. This should be introducing them to you, your product, how it works, you know, what the common objections are, et cetera. This should be all automated. So imagine if someone's uh, submitting an application to work with you at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night, obviously you're not gonna be on your phone at that time. So you just wanna keep them warm throughout that period as well. And it just allows for essentially a better business, better communication, uh, a better way to essentially stay engaged with your clients just through that intro email sequence. The second thing you want to think about here is you want to be getting in contact with them as fast as possible. So you want to be making an offer to them as fast as possible. I can't give you the exact statistics here, but when someone inquires in your program, the best time to convert them is in the first 30 minutes from when they submit an application, depending on the business. This is very varied depending on what business you're in, but the faster you can get onto these leads or the inquiries, the better you'll go with sales. 80% of sales are made within the first 10 days. So if you're leaving something for more than 10 days, you're missing 80% of your opportunities here. So you wanna get to them as fast as possible and creating some kind of automated process or having your team do this in a process is key. Anything to add, Steph? Yeah, I think that, you know, you've nailed it, Tim. Like it is, you know, you don't have to be on your phones all the time because we don't actually believe in that. Yeah. that We're not on our phones literally like 70% of the day. We're actually not on our phones. And so when it comes to to this, it's about making sure we have those processes in place so that, you know, you are actually getting back to them or someone in your team or something, an automated response or something is getting back to them within that time frame, letting them know what happens next. So I think it's it's not saying that, you know, you need to be the, the first to get back to them. Although in saying that, we did make a $10,000 sale this week. And the one thing he said was I messaged him and within 30 minutes he'd replied. And I love that level of customer service. And we really pride ourselves on that level of customer service. So the faster you can get back to somebody, the more impressed they're gonna be. And we we need to create some systems around that. I actually don't get that many messages. So I was really excited that someone messaged me. So that's why I got to him so quickly. (laughs) Thank you, Glenn. (laughs) So Steph, where does this go wrong for people? So imagine they start getting a bunch of leads, you know, just paint the picture. Where does this go wrong? So where this goes wrong is like one of the processes we teach in Success School is is kind of, well, we teach a lot of processes to get leads, but often what will happen is they'll get a flood of leads. So like 100, 200 leads at once. But even if you just got eight leads, right? Like eight people that were like, hey, I'm really interested in your offer. You absolutely need to have a process for what's next. And the process is not, let me be really clear. The process is not opening up a DM conversation with them and sending them your prices. That is not the process, okay? I want you to think about, a lead as a human being in a conversation with you in a room. 
Okay. And you guys are in a room together and they've just walked up to you and they said, Hey, I really love what you're about. I really love to know more. You wouldn't just be like, yeah, cool. The price point for the program is this. And here's all the inclusions. <laughs> like that would be so weird. <laughs> That'd be such an awkward social human experience. Right. And so that's not how it works, guys. Like before you sell anyone anything, like this is the key rule of sales. Don't just sell anyone anything. Like you have to sell it to somebody who needs it, who wants it, who's the right fit. And so by you just throwing out your pricing and packaging around it to everybody for them to just like see, to see what sticks, like that just goes to show that you are not living in alignment with actually bringing the right people in. And so asking them questions like, cool, well, yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about like, what are you, what are you looking for? Like, what are your goals? Like what, like what attracted you to this post and, and what are your goals? And they'll tell you and you'll be like, cool, is that something that I can help with? Yes, no. Honestly, is that something that I can help with? Yes, no. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's something I can help with. Why haven't you got those results? Right. Why haven't you been able to do this for yourself so far? What's stopping you from getting there at the moment to understand what the roadblock is? Because ideally, as a business owner, you are the problem solver. You solve the problem for the person. So if they have a roadblock, it's your responsibility to help them move past that roadblock to get the thing that they want, the outcome that they want. Now, if that's your responsibility to help them get the outcome that they want, you need to make sure that that roadblock that they have is one that you, again, can actually solve. So is what the, the outcome that they want, can I help them get it? Yes, no. The roadblock that they're currently suffering, can I actually solve that roadblock or not? Yes, no. And then if all of those things align, then it's like, cool, man, I think I'd actually be the perfect person to help you. Here's a little bit more about the offer. Let's have a bit more of a chat. I'm happy to jump on a call with you and talk about it. Please, if you get leads, stop just being like, hey, here's all the prices and the services. It's weird and it breaks rapport. Mm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So, Tim, based on the back of that, what does best practice look like? So I was thinking about this. I wanted to give you guys a actual real-world example of what this looks like for us. So I'm going to give you a gym example here. The gym example would work for any service-based business or coach as well. So let's say we're marketing a 28-day intro program. There would be a landing page. At the bottom of that landing page, there would be an, uh, a button they could click to apply. Once they apply, we call them and pre-qualify them. Once we pre-qualify them, we have them in for a consultation and onboarding. So there's a few steps to this, okay? So they're going to get rough information on the landing page, which is going to sell them into it. So it's going to be what's in the offer, what they get, what the outcomes are, etc. When they apply, we're going through and pre-qualifying them. Are they a good client for us? And is it a good fit for the business? Are they going to do the work? Then when they're in the consultation, they we ask for a commitment. Are they going to show up? Are they going to do the work? We get all their baseline data, etc. And then they become a client of ours. So it's multiple step. The more steps you put in, the harder it's going to be, but the better quality of client that you have. Very similar with Success School, we run the exact same process. So if you want to join www.successschool.io, <laughs> apply there. There's going to be an application form. Then we're going to pre-qualify you to see if you're a good fit for the program. Then you're going to jump on a call with our sales team or Steph, and then you're going to be introduced to the program. So that's what the best practice would look like from a sales process point of view. In terms of lead nurture, all of these come with automated sequences. So it'll be like, welcome, hello, here's what we do, here's how we do it, here's why we do it, are you interested, et cetera. And then there'll be multiple follow-ups, text messages, et cetera, throughout that period as well. So that's our process in a nutshell. Steph, did I miss anything on that? You didn't miss anything, but I, I do want to touch on the fact that, guys, 
like just because someone's a lead, like, the the usual the usual process from lead to sale is not, hey, I'm a lead, and then the next day I purchase. Yeah. Like that's really really rare. And in order to and and when that does happen, let me tell you how and why that happens. That does happen for us in Success School. Yeah. But let me tell you about how and why that happens. Really, really, I'm going to break this down quickly. One, they become a lead in our funnel somewhere. So usually probably from a Facebook ad that Tim has geniusly set up for us that allows them to download something for free, right? Then they're able to, then they come into our world. So we have a bit of a nurture sequence that goes out. And then on top of that, we have a lot of long form content that we send our email list to. So our podcasts, you know, any masterclasses we've done, we send out like free templates and free tools and things like that. And so Within the first 24 hours, they can get to know us really well. They can go and binge a heap of our podcasts. They can go and have a little look at our Facebook group and all the free stuff that we're offering. They get access to some of our free mini courses and things like that. And so within 24 hours, they can know straight away, like, is this the person for me? Yes, no. And if they feel like it is, we can get that person on a call and we can convert them within 24 hours. So within 48 hours, they can go from very cold, very new person in our audience to purchasing. If you don't have all of those touch points where you're sending them to podcasts, where you're sending them emails, where you're following up, where you're also DMing them and having conversations, then it's going to take a little, like, I think it's like nine touch points that they need at least before Mm. they start to actually warm. So just because you've got a lead, don't think that you're going to convert them to a sale straight away. That's just not how it works. For most people, and when we were first, and when we're talking about startups, when we were first in startups, it would take weeks and sometimes months for people to convert. And even though some of our audience now do convert within 48 hours, we also have people who have been enough in our world for, you know, three years, four years, five years before buying from us. And so that lead nurture piece isn't just about, when we talk about lead nurture, what we're talking about is you get that lead and you have multiple touch points and conversations with them over a period of time to warm them up, to help them see that you're the expert, to build no like and trust so that they can purchase from you if and when it's right for them. So this is very fitting for this podcast, but I actually had someone sign up at my gym after being on my email list for 12 years. So if you think about that. <laughs> and he 12, sends a lot of emails. I sent a lot of emails. <laughs> so 12 years, this guy was on my email list getting weekly emails from me and absolute spamming. If you think about that, it's like 52 a year. That's like 600 emails later. The guy finally signed up to the gym and we got the sale, but it took us 12 years. And a lot of people will give up after sending three emails and they'll be like, oh, cool, it doesn't work, email sucks. But the reality is you've got to be in this for the long haul. Yeah, guys, people convert after a long period of time really, really often. So just because it's not working right now doesn't mean that you're not, like Tim said, you're not filling up the piggy bank like you are by just creating more content, by just sending more emails, by just following up, by just checking back in six months later, you are filling up the piggy bank. You are building those no like and trust points. And by doing that over time, there's a compounding effect and eventually it's going to get even easier to make sales because that no like and trust has been built for such a long period of time. We are now going to dive in to our listener questions for this week. So thank you guys again. I'm like really shocked by how many people have been submitting questions. So please keep them coming, guys. We'll be putting up another story post on Tim's story and probably my story as well in the next couple of days. And we are so, we would love, love, love your support if you have listener questions. Tim, do you want to kick us off? So first one is from Louise M. How do you navigate business as a couple? I think we both have an interesting take on this, but I'll I'll let you kick off here, Steph. Yeah, there were actually three or four questions like this. So thank you for anyone who asked this question. How do we navigate business as a couple? Look, I think the number one thing that Tim and I do as a couple is communicate. And honestly, I just think that navigating business as a couple and navigating relationships as a couple, is it's just the same stuff. The only thing is that 
there are two people that are working towards a common goal and that you have to be really, really clear about what you need from each other. And I think that in business, it's, it is of course trickier because there are more emotions involved when you go into business together with your, with your significant other. And so, you know, where you might be okay with being a little bit rude to an employee or to a, you know, contractor, or, you know, you might be a bit more brutally honest with somebody that you don't really know, you don't do that with your partner. And so there's a level of like leniency and also like resentment can build up really quickly if you don't have really clear communication. So Tim and I have made very many, like give each other very many opportunities to give each other feedback, to really get clear and asking for what we need. So being really specific, hey, can you help me out with this today? Yes, no, or I can do this, but on this timeline, like it, we just, you can't, do the people pleasing thing and the I love you. So I'm just going to, you know, wear this one because it's just like, I know, no, like I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable asking you. Like you, you just have to ask for what you need. You have to be honest. You have to be upfront. You have to be really clear on like, cool, what are we driving towards this week? You have to be okay with making each other uncomfortable. It's not like Tim and I, by no means do we sit around all day just being like, oh my God, love you. This is the best. Like we, we have to be like, Hey babe, where are you at with this thing that you, that I asked you for? Like it, you have to be asking for what you need constantly and being okay with that. Sometimes you are going to be the person that's letting the couple down. And sometimes you are going to have to ask for more support. And sometimes you are going to have to um, be honest and say like, I'm not coping and this isn't working for me. And those hard conversations are the reason that Tim and I can do business so easily together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the other thing here is having a clear outline of what each other does in the business is kind of key for us so there's no stepping on each other's toes so i do email i do ads i do coaching i do like the high level strategy type things and then the team management when we had a team steph does organic marketing sales coaching like more the tactical client stuff as well so we we have our roles in the company kind of set which makes it a lot easier and then there's the expectation on either of us to just handle it and just get that done and drive the business forward with the kpis and then the other part here is like yeah it's a 50 50 dynamic for us but then some weeks i'm not doing 50 steph doing more than 50 and then other weeks when she's not doing 50 i'm doing more than 50 so it's like a it's a give take type thing when you know you just kind of need to realize that you know, we're all humans and we're all trying our best with this. And I think like we've spoken about it plenty of times before and, and could talk about it a hundred times over, but if you are planning on going into business with your significant other, please both of you go and do an NLP course. Like absolutely as a non-negotiable, mm. like you need to learn how to talk to each other. You need to learn, you need to also shine a light lovingly on your own stuff, on your own baggage, on your own projections, on your own fears, on your own stuff. Because a lot of the reason that I might, let's say, snap at Tim or have really high expectations of him or not communicate my needs to him is because of fears that I have within myself. And so being able to like identify that this is actually not a Tim problem, right? If I'm feeling something, it's probably not a Tim problem. It's probably a me problem. And, and having the tools in your tool belt to be able to look at yourself and go, okay, how, if I'm feeling fear and I'm snapping at Tim and he comes at me and he says, Hey, you, you know, you're snapping at me or why are you so frustrated at me? And I have to, the best thing I can do is look inwards and say, Hey, like, it's actually a me thing. And it's actually because I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm scared or I'm, I'm freaking out about this. But if you haven't done something like NLP, you're not going to be able to really necessarily see that or know that within yourself. So that was one of the best things that we did as a couple. 
And that leads us to question number two, which is actually in a similar vein, but was a different like version of this question. So Tim, how do you manage or how do we manage personal and business communications at the dinner table in your off time? So considering you're working as partners, I'd imagine that switching off at the dinner table is hard. And this is from Clint A. So we've recently just set up a rule where no phones after 4 p.m., which helps quite a lot with this. I think the, the business or the triggers or the things that come up is a lot of the time from the phone. So when we don't have that now, it kind of changes the conversation or the tone or the dynamic between us at the dinner table to more about our lives, where we're going, future chats, etc., rather than the nitty gritty of the business. I think we both have to consciously be aware that maybe we are talking too much about business. I think it is just a consciousness and an understanding of what we're actually chatting about. Yeah, business is cool, but then talking about it all the time can get a little bit lame as well. And that's, you know, business is a means to an end. Business is for building the life of your dreams. It's not the other way around where a lot of people get that a little bit twisted. So, you know, in terms of communication at the dinner table, we tend to not touch on sore points or big topics, I would say, just because they can create a little bit of anxiety, confusion, frustration, etc. So it's more like happy stuff after 4pm and less more nitty gritty hard conversations. Yeah, like we had a couple of situations come up this week. And like, I literally they happened kind of towards the end of a day. And I wanted to talk with him about it, but I also was like, I'm not going to do this for our evening. So I'll wait until Monday 9am or the next day at 9am and then I'll ask him about it. And and so that allows us both to not have to think about it for the entire evening, to be able to have our night, to recuperate, to fill our, you know, our cups, to be humans and deal with the business stuff in business hours. In saying that, we do love what we do. Yeah. <laughs> we do fucking love what we do. And so because we love what we do, and we, a lot of our clients will know this because we tell them regularly, we're like, yeah, we were talking about you at dinner last night. Like, mm. And so we do strategize, we do share. So like after we get off group coaching calls, something that our clients know, or some of our clients know is that after we get off group coaching calls, Tim and I always jump into a room together and we're like, cool, you know, Sarah asked this and Amy asked this and, you know, Jen wanted this feedback on her thing. And, and we kind of talk about what came up and how we coached it and how it felt and and it's really cool because it means that we get really across our clients both of us and we're able to both coach them really easily but also we just get, we just love like we we just love it like it's so, it feels so good to help people this way and so it can be tough to switch off at off time but i guess we've kind of we've never really spoken about it but i guess we've kind of made a rule no heavy shit at the dinner table mm. like only light stuff only like fun like oh my god we you know this client had this win and how good and here's what we think she should do next and we can't wait to see her again when we, we and we can tell her that like it's it's really wholesome stuff at night so before i ask a question i usually ask myself is this going to piss her off or trigger her and then i usually won't ask it from there so on to our final question from nat b how do you sort your shit out when things don't go as you thought they might over to you steph oh i have so much to say on this topic but the first thing is just readjust your expectations like the, you know and this is for everything in life this has got nothing this is like really anything and nothing to do with business because you know, if you have expectations of your friends, you're probably going to be disappointed. If you have expectations of your husband, you're probably going to be disappointed. If you have, you know, really, really, really high expectations of your launch or of your business of where you think it should be, you're probably going to be disappointed. And so it's about really like, I think it's something that Tim and I have always done. And we've, we've had this conversation so many times, like, we never expect things to go well. <laughs> like we, yeah. we never expect things to go well. We are every time we launch something, we're like, oh my God, like I'd be so stoked if five people signed up. Like when we launched Success School, like it's such a funny story. We were like 
really sitting down being like, we don't know. We were going from like, we're making $110,000 a month, right? We shut down our, our first mastermind so we could build this one. And we knew that we were going to lose some some people in the, in the turnover. We knew that, you know, it wasn't, a, it was a new concept and that people weren't going to have as much no like, and trust with it. And so we kind of were like, if we could just get like 20 people in, we'll be so happy. Like mm. that would cover our costs. That means we could still pay our team. That would like, allow us to pay our mortgage. Like if we could just get 20 people in and within week one, we had 82 people. Because and like so, our expectations were just so low that we were like, you know, and and at the time we had a hundred plus people in our mastermind, so we could have expected at least fifty percent, but we didn't even expect fifty percent. We expected far, far lower than fifty percent. And so, I think to answer your question, Nat, your expectations need to be, in my opinion, it's not to say that you can't have big dreams and big goals, but like really keep your expectations like lower, and and I guess like build based on worst case scenario versus best case scenario. Because when you go into best case, you kind of always hope it's best case. We go in at worst case and then anything above that is the bomb.com and we have momentum. And the thing is that when you have, when you set your expectations and they don't get met, you start to go into a negative thought loop of, oh my God, it's not going to happen. And oh my God, and you start to get really like hyper fixated on the numbers and hyper fixated on what's not working. And you start to buy into the belief systems that come up about yourself. And that actually stops your momentum. Whereas if you have really low expectations and you start to exceed them, then you create momentum and that momentum pushes you forward and lifts the energy and everything starts to move really, really quickly. So to answer your question, how to sort your shit out when things don't go as you thought they might, the first part of that is around setting your expectations. The second part is this is business and this is life. And at the end of the day, shit isn't always going to work out the way that you think it's going to. And you have to learn how to be emotionally resilient and have that self-trust to go like, really, no matter what happens to me, like Nat, me, Tim, like we've always landed on our feet. We're not dead. We are breathing. We have people around us who love us and we can rebuild from anything, no matter what. And so that real trust in yourself to go, you know what? Shit isn't work going out in my favor right now, but I trust myself to figure out how I can make this work for me. Yeah, 100% agree with all those points. I'm just going to challenge it a little bit. I'm going to challenge you, Nat, here. And I'm going to ask you, have you shown up for the last 12 months every day have you posted? Have you added value? Have you nurtured relationships? Have you outreached to people? Have you done all those things consistently? And if so, then I would look at your results and say, maybe it's not gone as I thought it would have. But I think the biggest issue here is people want or expect success when maybe they haven't taken the action that would warrant the success, okay? Mm. And this is not a direct dig on anyone, but usually when you're taking enough action in the right ways, the results will come. When the results aren't coming, you haven't taken enough of the right action. And that's when you need to consciously step back unemotionally and not say, it's not working out for me. You need to say, why is it not working out for me? What am I not doing rather than blaming the situation? Yeah. And not even just like, what am I not doing? But also like, okay, if I'm doing all things and I've been doing them for like six to 12 months and it's really not working and it's still not happening. And I've been taking all the action, like specifically for Nat, I know she's been taking a lot of action. And so it's like, okay, then we need to start looking at other things. Like, and we've had this, Tim and I have both had yeah. this. Like, is it the offer? Is it, 
is it something that, you know, am I not doing enough of the right action? Should I be direct outreaching more? Like when Tim, you know, was working for an entire year as a PT and didn't have any clients, he had to start looking in and going, okay, is it the way I approach people? Is it my offer? Is it this space? Is it the gym? Is it me? Is it my energy? Do I need to be more of a leader in this space? Like, you know, maybe being a dweeby, you know, very handsome, but dweeby PT walking around a gym with zero muscles isn't actually the answer to getting to be able to coach people because you, you probably don't look the way that that maybe people want to aspire to look like to be able to get coached by people. Like people go to Tim now all the time just because of the way he looks. They're like, literally, it was in hospital the other week and the guy was like, bro, how do I get muscles like you? Mm. Like the, the people just like want to know how Tim does it because he looks the way that people want to look for that specific thing, right? And so it's like, Yes, you might be taking all the actions or you might not be taking enough action, but also looking at things like your offer, you know, your audience. If, if you're bumping up, and we had this with another client, if you're bumping up against the same problems over and over and over again, it might be time to pivot the niche, pivot the audience, pivot the offer as well. Such awesome questions, guys. Please keep those coming through. We are loving answering these and we are hoping that you're loving having them answered as well. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Duo Success School podcast. We have been absolutely loving this. Now, today is a really exciting day because today we have launched something that we call within our Success School uh, program, our PhD, which is effectively a doctorate level of understanding of certain topics and concepts so that you can learn the skill on a deep level and really change the game for yourself in business. And the one that we have just launched, the PhD that we have just launched is called Money Making messaging and is the mini course of this program. Within our program Success School, we have a 10-minute module on this. And in this program, I am going to be diving into seven live trainings so we can really deep dive what it looks like to create money-making messaging. Because right now, you might feel like you're posting, 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 but just not making as many sales as you could. You might feel tired of creating irresistible offers, reels, content, and captions, and feel like there's just nobody jumping in to actually ask like to how to buy. Or even worse, they're asking you for your prices. And after you tell them your prices, they go silent and ghost you. You're maybe starting to wonder things like, should I drop my prices? Even though you know that you don't want to, and let's be honest, you cannot afford to drop your prices. So in this mini course, you're going to get everything that you need to build a hot audience of buyers. So we spoke about building warm leads today. I'm going to teach you guys how to build a hot audience of buyers, even if you have a small following, to talk about your offer so that people understand it, want it and buy it because most of the time, the reason that people aren't buying your offer is because it doesn't make sense to them and they don't know how it's going to help them. We're going to help you to create content that consistently generates interests, leads, and sales, and have the tools to craft your very own money-making sales page so you can get a sales page pumped out in just a few hours. Now, these are some of the exact strategies that I have used every day in my own business, in this business, in multiple businesses that Tim and I have to attract in high-value clients who already know that they want to work with us before I send them the offer. The kinds of clients who never haggle on price the kinds of clients who pay in full, the kinds of clients who move mountains to be in our containers and our offers. And that is what we're going through in Money Making Messaging, the mini course. Guys, in the next two weeks, the price will be going up. So you are going to want to get on it. This is the cheapest it's going to be. It's a live program. It starts on the 15th of November. I'm so freaking excited to deliver this to you guys. Just a disclaimer, guys, this is not actually a PhD. This is a PhD in stacking cash. So if you're interested in that, 
definitely hit up the show notes. As always, guys, if you got some value from this show, don't forget to subscribe or follow. Share it with someone that you know that could find this content and information valuable. And lastly, guys, we need a rating. Five stars only. Much appreciated. Until next time. See you later. Audience exclusive.